Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Happy New Year, boys. We made it. Did you? Very barely. <laughs> I can't believe you are actually on board for an early afternoon episode. Because I know later today I'm going to rot into my couch. Oh, it's it's the countdown. You, if we went after dinner, I wasn't coming. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way you could scrape me off the couch. Happy New Year, Brad. Happy New Year. What was New Year's like in the Crisco household? Very, I shouldn't say quiet because, you know, two kids and a puppy, but very low key yeah. is probably the word. We had our second, uh, actually third straight year of not doing anything with friends. Last year, we just were with Mel's family because we were barely recovered um, from being sick. And this year, it was just, I don't know, just the way the world's going right now. Not a lot of people were doing a lot these holidays. And so Mel and I were like, ah, why stretch ourselves to find plans? Let's just have a low-key one at home too. And yeah, it's uh, watching like Jack Ryan pausing, toasting a quick uh, glass of bubbly for New Year's and then resuming Jack Ryan. That was the night. That's people as a whole are becoming more aware just how awful everything is on New Year's. And I don't mean that to be a cynic, but you can't go in public on New Year's. Everywhere sucks. You go to a bar, it sucks. You go to a club, it sucks. You house to, party is the way to go on New a, Year's. A thousand percent. If yeah. you want to have a couple people over at their house, your house, whatever, where you control A, the capacity, the content, the media, like it's perfect. It's great. I went out for New Year's once in my life. And then every year since then, I'm like, I'm either going to someone's house or they're coming to mine. Never again. Like you hear the horror stories coming out of Times Square. Oh, there's you gotta no take chance. your diapers. Yeah, yeah. They actually have to have diapers. That's disgusting. Who in their right mind would ever want to do that? Like, I get the appeal before you like do the research on it. Just like, oh yeah, the hang out in one of the most you know cool areas in New York City, watch the uh, world famous Big Apple drop. Cool. But then you actually like start thinking about what that entails. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not for all the power to the people who can do it and find joy in that. I'm not going to yuck your yum here, but uh, yeah, not for me. Uh, credit to the Detroit Red Wings for giving us a win to close out 2022 because fans, some Michigan sports fans were feeling pretty bummed out for 51 different reasons that night. That's as much as I'm going to get into that, uh, but was fully expecting Detroit to, based on how the game started, and we should know better based on how they've played their last like three, five, seven games. Uh, I was fully expecting us to go into the end of the year and into 2023 with the Red Wings loss, but, oh, another comeback in, like, two minutes. The Red Wings treated 2022 like they treat every game recently. The first two-thirds of it, terrible. The last third, the end of it, now they turn it on, so. All fun and games, but Detroit Red Wings, please, for both the 60 minutes of a hockey game and the entire 365 days of a year, if we can kick that habit yeah. and have a little bit of consistency. I know there's a monkey paw curling somewhere now that I said that. but <laughs> And the Red Wings on a remarkable 34 straight periods without winning a period. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, here to kick off 2023. We all hope you had a safe and happy new year. Uh, welcome to the first Winged Wheel podcast episode of the year. Here to talk to you about all things Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, uh, and what our resolutions are for the year. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I was not told we'd be doing resolutions. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Wow. <laughs> Barely. Oh, wow. my God. That sounds like I smoked 17 darts <laughs> last night. <laughs> Evan's got the perfect radio voice right now. Ah, depends on who you ask. 
Not good. Not good at all. <laughs> Evan, for context, Evan uh, was at a New Year's Eve wedding last night. So, yeah, I think there was probably 250 people there. Um, it's actually, a, you know, primer for your wedding. Oh, a huge family presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, a bu- just a bunch of friends. And uh, good fun. I, I got peer pressured into doing tequila shots, which are my absolute kryptonite. Yeah. So. I- I feel fantastic and sound even better. <laughs> I like that you can hear it too. Oh, I can hear it. I sound terrible. <laughs> <laughs> On this episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast, we'll be talking about the Red Wings' past couple of games. Somewhat of a theme in them that we've already kind of uh, talked about in our intro here. Uh, and most notably, storylines coming out of the Ottawa game. Soderblom and Valeno fighting back hard against uh, our suggestions that maybe Soderblom might be the one to go down. Uh, they're both on six-game point streaks. Rasmussen killing it on the wing. Raymond had himself a great game. Uh, Helberg had a mixed bag of a night, but pulled out the W. Sider and Wallman were paired together. How did that go and everything else uh, in that game? We'll be talking more about Jericho Lone's lineup decisions, which are going to be happening at least somewhat this week. Uh, what to expect with Verana and Fabry presumably returning to the lineup as early as Wednesday. Uh, what's going to happen with Huso, Nadelkovic, and Helberg, that whole situation. Uh, Maybe if we have some time, we'll get into what our Red Wings resolutions are for 2023, a World Junior update, and more. Before all that, I do want to let you know that this podcast proudly supports the Jamie Daniels Foundation and their fight against substance use disorder. Uh, What we do uh, twice a year, uh, which is a fun event in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings, is Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. So that's not just, you know... Uh, a fun event where we host a pre-game live recording of the episode. I'll go watch the Red Wings game together. You meet special guests like Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond, things like that. A portion of the proceeds from all those tickets sold goes uh, directly to benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So very appreciative to the to the Detroit Red Wings for uh, doing that. They've been great partners in this. So DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP if you want to get tickets to the April 8th, Saturday, April 8th against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Tickets to that Winged Wheel podcast night again. Live recording of the podcast at Hockey Town Cafe right before the game. We'll all head over to the game together. We'll sit in Winged Wheel podcast-specific sections. Uh, we will uh, be seated either in the gondola, which is the same view that Ken and Mick have, the upper bowl or the lower bowl. There's tickets everywhere. Uh, the tickets are discounted, a special Winged Wheel podcast discount. There's giveaway, there's merch, there's prizes. There's a lot of great benefits for you and some uh, surprises that we're going to keep uh, in our back pocket for now and uh Hopefully tease you with a little bit closer to the event. So DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. So last episode was recording pretty much as the Buffalo game was starting. You know, I was editing and watching and covering the Buffalo game. And uh, these Red Wings, man. We talked about it last episode. They can't start a game right now. They started off this game going into the third period down 5 nothing against Buffalo. Buffalo's been a good team. They've been a great team. I don't think they're getting enough credit around the league. They've really turned it around. They're on some kind of tear right now. Honestly, people are having the same conversations about Buffalo and whether or not they can hang on to maybe a second wildcard spot that folks were having about Detroit for a lot of the start of the season. Don't want to discredit Buffalo. But it's the Buffalo Sabres. You should not be going down 5 nothing against the Buffalo Sabres, especially when you've hung in there against much better teams. Uh, I think altogether a rough night for the Red Wings to put together you know, in front of uh, Helberg. Um, and it did turn around in the third, but just the start of that game was a demonstration of the fact that the Red Wings are really off kilter at the, the puck drop for each game, and they need to correct that because it's it's not changed and it's going to tank them. 
And the Buffalo Sabres do seem to be a, a little bit of the Red Wings kryptonite over the last couple of years. There's been a lot of rough outings against the Sabres. It's like the Buffalo Sabres are tequila and the Detroit Red Wings are Evan. <laughs> That's right. But I don't know. It feels like the Red Wings have that about like with a lot of different uh, teams. Yeah, but with a lot of those teams like the Leafs, for example, that makes sense. The Leafs have been a very good team for many years now. You expect them to beat up on a basement dweller like the Red Wings. The Sabres have been right there in the basement with the Red Wings, so it hasn't made as much sense. Um, But the theme of, you know, the Red Wings getting off the slow starts, we can look at the last three games. Like, Mm -hmm. if you want to just look at it in immediate recency bias, down 2-1 going into the third against Ottawa, 5-0 going into the third against... um, Buffalo, 4-2 going into the third against Pittsburgh, which was 4 nothing. Like This is becoming a theme, and obviously there's more examples throughout the year, but it's become even more prevalent lately. We're not at the point in the season yet where the players should be burning out. No. Like, obviously the NHL is a grind. It's tough. I'm not discrediting any of that. But, like, these are the type of meltdowns that you see almost every team. Not meltdowns, but a type of... Uh, early game letdowns you see every team have at some point throughout the season. But usually that's going into February, March, you know, when teams are very injured and the guys who have been playing are starting to get worn down, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously the Red Wings have been one of the more injured teams, but been basically the same group all season. Um, What's happening to cause this? I don't know. I really don't know. It's part of it's just because most, a lot of these teams are just playing better than the Red Wings. And the Red Wings take advantage when the other team lets the foot off the gas. Part of it is the Red Wings look very, I don't even know what the word is. Because disinterested is too strong of a word. Because obviously it's not that extreme. But the lack of motivation and urgency is very apparent. For a team to be able to turn it around like they have. Like for example, in the third period against Buffalo, uh, Soderblom set up Kubelik with a fantastic play. Like Soderblom heard us say, yeah, maybe he should be the one to go down because he's waiver exempt and immediately started, well, not only just uh, started great play, continued great play, uh, set up Kubelik, and then not long after, I think it was just a couple minutes later, not even Kubelik scored again, uh, and Jordan Osterley fired. Jordan Osterley, who only scores big goals like that. He doesn't score a lot, but when he does, it's at a big time. This team made it 5-3 late in the third, or, or before the third was even halfway over. And I was actually, I was legitimately thinking like, oh my Here God. Here we go again. They might actually do it again. So they can turn it around. And yeah, there's some puck luck in there. There's, you know, the, the tilt of the game towards the team that's losing. That always happens, of course. But, you know, the Red Wings have demonstrated three second halves or third periods of a game in a row that they can turn it around. So it's, as sim- it's almost an inverse of what our complaints were about the Red Wings in previous years. I don't know if you guys remember, but the Red Wings couldn't play a third period. Oh, we remember in painful detail. So, you know, not every middle stands is, is, has been bad, but generally the first 30 minutes of a game of late, the Red Wings have just been off. They ended up losing that Buffalo game 5-3. There were points where they played really well, but at the end of the day, like they didn't get, they got backup at best level goaltending from Hellberg. Like he didn't do them any favors like Huso might have, uh, but the team didn't do him any favors, at least to start the game. They ended up losing the game 5-3. Uh, and then heading into the Ottawa game, Ottawa went up two nothing uh, in the first period, and you were thinking, "Yeah, here we go again." <laughs> it wasn't a good period. It was a bad first period. The Red Wings looked flat. They looked like they couldn't get anything going. They needed a spark. They needed some kind of something. And uh, the two goals, I, Halberg ended up getting the win. So I want to qualify it with 
Helberg made the saves when he needed to, but those two goals were bad goals. No, I didn't like either of those goals. Um, the first one from Austin Watson, it's very easy to see a shot go bar down and immediately say, oh yeah, what's a goalie going to do about that? Well, the whole appeal of having your six foot four, six foot five, six foot six goalies is so they can get those. Helberg just overslid. It's a very common problem amongst goalies, but not at the NHL level. He he overslid and it beat him in a spot where he could have made the save. Am I like kicking and screaming? You have to have that. No, it was a tremendous shot. Um, but it's one that you would like to see saved. The Juru one was just bad. Yeah, uh, that hit off the blocker off his head was it? And then into yeah, the a bit of bad luck. But that's you know you also create your own luck by you know positioning properly, et cetera, et cetera. Poor Jake Wallman got put on a poster despite not actually playing that play all that poorly. You see a guy pull the puck through his own legs and you and score. Your immediate thought goes to, wow, that defenseman just got absolutely embarrassed. But Giroux tried that on Wallman and Wallman was able to hold him to a backhand from the outside. Yeah, That is a successful way to defend that play. You expect your goalie to save that 99 out of 100 times. So I have a much more problems with that goal than I did with um, the Austin Watson goal. Both were saveable, but the all at least for the save for the Giroux one that should have been saved, and then he was good for the rest of the game. So I can't yeah. I, like this is definitely me nitpicking, and I understand that. But when there's a legit goalie battle going on between him and Ned, because as we'll talk about later, that's coming to a head this week. Now's the time to nitpick. So Helberg got absolutely let down by his team against Buffalo and didn't do much to help them, and then. He started off this game by not really doing much to help his team and then, you know, almost got the message at that point. I mean, Ottawa didn't have a ton of chances after that. Detroit did a pretty good job of stifling them. But for the rest of that game, he made the saves he needed to make, which is not something Ned has been able to do very often this year. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it boils down to. Much similar to when Helberg came in in relief for the Pittsburgh game. Wasn't tested that thoroughly. Like, yeah, there were some moments stopping Sidney Crosby on a breakaway is no small feat, but... The team did him the favors they needed to in that game, and I think they did for the rest of the auto game. Lucas Raymond had a phenomenal individual effort to set up Hugh Suter for the goal. Fantastic play to get the puck to the net, retain possession, and and a really smart turnaround pass. Raymond, I, I think, had a one of his best games in a little while there against Ottawa. And uh, heading into third period, down 2-1. And then in the span of, what was it, a minute and 55 seconds? Yeah. Lucas Raymond scored. Elmer Soderblom scored. Michael Rasmussen scored. Bang, bang, bang. You could not finish celebrating the previous goals, and all of a sudden the Red Wings were up 4-2. So it was a really, really great uh, redirect by Lucas Raymond off an Ole Mata shot. Uh, Soderblom was in the slot to uh, to rip it to make 3-2, and Rasmussen capitalized on a goalie giveaway, wrapped around, and went Super Saiyan as he was celebrating that goal. I thought he was going to punch through the ice like a superhero. Uh, and that was the story of the game that those few minutes or those not even few minutes, two minutes for the Red Wings. They turned the whole game around, gave the Little Caesars Arena something to celebrate for heading into the new year. And what a performance. Yeah. I'm for all the criticisms we've have had about the Red Wings this year. They certainly are not the team that gives up folds and crumbles like the last, I don't know, five iterations of this team. Yeah. So we all saw the gif of, uh, first of all, actually, I think that was our first win in the reverse retros. So, hmm. yeah. The uh, the Elmer Soderblom and uh, Joe Valeno hugging gif was funny. One, because Soderblom is a monster. 
He made most Sider look my height next to him. Um, those two are both on six game point streaks. And those two, depending on who you talk to, are two of the names that folks bring up in terms of who goes down to make room for, you know, Fabry coming back into the lineup. Verona's still on the active roster despite his conditioning stint, um, which is now wrapped up. Um, but he's still got to get through the game into the lineup. You know, Bertuzzi is going to come back, and depending on whether or not you think he's going to get a look right away, which I don't know that he will, Philip Zadina is going to come back in about the the news on Bertuzzi and Zadina is about seven to nine days from now, January first. Soderblom and Valeno's names have come up quite a bit, and they're both on six game pro- point streaks. Have been playing fantastic. Yeah, we last episode we're talking about Soderblom probably being the prime candidate to make room for at least one of the guys, and there's going to be hard decisions that have to be made either way. But Soderblom's kind of forcing the Red Wings' hand here. Um, the people who were suggesting Valeno draw out of the lineup even a week ago were wrong. He's been playing great for a while now, and the points are starting to fall for him, which, again, this is Joe Valeno's recipe that we've talked about his whole career. It takes him a while to get it, but when he gets it, he gets it, and Joe Valeno has been arguably one of the Red Wings' best forwards over the last month, like full stop. He has been really, really good. He's never going to be the guy to drop Dylan Larkin or Lucas Raymond type of numbers. No. But he's been remarkably consistent. He's been good at both ends of the ice, and he's been one of their best players in transition. I will die on the Joe Valeno should never be taken out of this lineup train, at least not based on the last six weeks of his performance. Like Again, it's hockey. He, I could say this, and then he could go to have the two worst weeks of his career, and then I'll be banging the table to scratch him. But Which he will, because that's a podcast yep. curse. Yep. Yeah, that's. I know exactly how this works. Sorry, Joe. Um, but you can't take him out of the lineup. Can't take Soderblom out of the lineup. He's on a six-game heater. Who's the other waiver-eligible uh, exempt guy? Jonathan Berggren. You no. take you taking him out right now? Absolutely. No not. chance. No chance whatsoever. So the Red Wings are going to have a couple very difficult decisions to make this week, and then probably two more very difficult decisions the week after. More on the lineup momentarily, um, but I fully agree on Valeno. Even the bottom six, like what those guys bring into the middle and bottom six, depending on what they're playing any given night, you know, Berggren slotted in a little higher. Uh, it's just changed where the depth on this team is coming from, or should I say it, it's changed the fact that this team has depth on, on some nights. Like it's been almost unattainable for the Red Wings in the past, where if it's, you're not Larkin, Bertuzzi or Raymond, the Red Wings aren't producing and. Yeah, you try to split them up, but then there's not a lot to do. So Valeno, he needed some runway to kind of get his his legs going, and uh, or at least in terms of production, settling into the NHL level. But I fully agree with you, Brad. I think he's been great, and it's not a new thing. Soderblom, yeah, he's. What did we say? Soderblom's going to have to go on a tear to make it a difficult decision, and that's sure enough, that's what he's doing so far. Derek Malone, Steve Eisman, I don't envy the decision they have to make, but it all comes back to what we've been saying and preaching. This is a good problem to have you should be questioning what you need to do with a backup goalie that's uh, not performing. You should be questioning what you need to do with a an Ernie, and a Lindstrom, a Sunquist. You should be, like, that's that that's a sign of a, a roster full of good players that are all pushing for an NHL roster spot. Yeah, it's probably a little overly simplistic to say, but the reality is if a guy gets healthy scratched in your lineup and nobody's upset about it, your team sucks. Yeah. So... If the Red Wings at full health have to put three guys in the press box that pit, that for different reasons pisses off the fan base on all three guys, tremendous. Go pay attention to what Leafs or Tampa Bay fans are angry about any given night. It's how many minutes. It's it's almost, 
ironic to think that a team full of that many superstars and what they're generally arguing about is how many minutes a fourth liner got. It's those small minutiae of the game that actually make a difference. Uh, Michael Rasmussen. I know we've done Michael Rasmussen should get a lot of credit bits on this podcast before, a little mini segments, but man, he has been so good. I know they've moved him back to wing recently, and I know the reason they've had him down the middle is because the Red Wings lack center depth. But I, I made a joke before we started recording, and I'll repeat it here, and please know that, you know, this is in jest, but kind of not. If the Red Wings, for any other reason other than they need someone to play down the middle because they have no one else because of injury or whatever, move Michael Rasmussen back to the middle, I'm going to become the joker because he is so damn good on the wing. He's been, I think he's been a lot better at center than we've seen Michael Rasmussen play earlier in his career, but he is just so effective on the wing, and especially playing with a guy like Dylan Larkin. Like, obviously, that's going to elevate your game. But I think there's a previous version of Michael Rasmussen that wouldn't have made the most of that opportunity. And what we're seeing from him has been great. What a turnaround for this player that's been in the in the making for you know months, if not a year plus now. Uh, I've loved his game, and and I was happy to see him rewarded with that goal. He's 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 going to have his, an A on his jersey for the Red Wings if he continues like this. We've said time and time again, Michael Rasmussen is a smart, highly competitive untalented player with size. He is built to be a good supporting winger. And now that he is being cast in a role as a supporting winger, it shouldn't surprise anybody that he's playing really damn good. Okay, when you say untalented, I want you to expand on that. Do yeah. you mean not highly skilled? Not highly skilled. He doesn't have the hands to do stuff that Raymond and Larkin does. He doesn't have the speed to be able to skate his way out of problems if they so arise. He doesn't have a shot that can beat a goalie from the top of the circles. He doesn't have any of that stuff in his bag. It's not to say any of those particular skills for him are poor or like barely NHL level, but they are not top six worth top six, maybe even not top nine worthy in an NHL role. But because he is a smart player, because he has such a high compete level, he can overcome those limitations when played in a proper role. And he's being placed in a proper role on the wing with good players, and he's thriving because of it. Now, ultimately, do I want Michael Rasmussen as our first line left winger? Of course not. Nobody should. We should have someone better than him there. But he's doing a good job in it. And if he gets bumped down to the second or third line in the same role, guess what? He's still going to be effective because that's what he's good at. And he will continue to be good at. And he's shown us now for the better part for um, different periods of time in two separate seasons now that he thrives in that role. So, yeah, even though I was happy with his improvements at center this year, he was still a below average NHL centerman. So why continue to push that experiment when you can get an actual, we'll call it plus asset yeah. into your lineup? Yeah, it's, it's extracting the most value you can out of a player. I think there was a Red Wings video where they, they did their New Year's resolutions last year and <laughs> Rasmussen's was be better at hockey. And uh, it's good to see somebody follow through with their resolution. Well, I mean, if he had that kind of power, first of all, that is the best follow-through on a resolution I've ever seen. Absolutely. Because it was January 1st, 2022, where that guy started playing better hockey. Yeah. He should have gone out there this year and said, score 55 goals. If you really? Have that he kind of he didn't we shoot haven't, high enough. <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen his resolution for this year yet. Like, there's still hope. Red, Red Wings social team, please let us know what they said this season. Yeah. Michael Rasmussen, what's your resolution? I think this year I'm going to win the Rocket Richard. <laughs> uh, okay. 
Rasmussen had himself a great game. We mentioned Raymond had himself a great game. Jake Wallman gritted his way to the top pairing. <clears throat> That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Just have a sick dance. It was already replicated in the World Juniors, which is hysterical. Uh, but this is something that people have been interested in seeing. We we talked about it as early as actually last season. Um, we did see Wallman with Sider for a little bit just by necessity. I think Wallman was the only functioning left defenseman on the Red Wings towards the end of last year. Uh, but we said, let's let's see what Sider and Wallman look like together on a consistent basis, especially with the Sherratt-Sider pairing just looking like there wasn't a ton of chemistry there, if not a bit improved of late. They got their game together. How did uh, how did they look? But most importantly, how did Sider look? Better. Yeah, I, I liked I liked their game together. Obviously, it wasn't perfect, but it was good, and that's all we were hoping for in a in a first iteration of something. It was good. Um, you know, Wallman's going to get some heat because of the Giroux goal, but we already talked about that. That was on Helberg. That was not on him. Uh, he got some time on the power play. Didn't really see much happening there, but I don't think that's ever going to be Wallman's calling card anyway. I think Sider and Wallman complement each other well because, you know, Wallman, how do I say this? Because I don't want to be insulting to Sherratt because it's not fair to Sherratt. Wallman's more predictable. Sider is going to be able to read off and play off Wallman a lot better in theory and at least in practice yesterday than he would Ben Sherratt. Um, and that's kind of what I was seeing. They didn't try to do too much. So who knows what happens with this pairing in a tougher matchup or if it's, you know, they ha- they have to push a bit more, whatever the situation or the circumstance of that game dictates. But for what it was, it was the Ottawa Senators. It was late December. Couple like tune the urgency up to that and however whatever the capacity is you want to. I don't even know how to phrase that. But in that circumstance, they looked competent. They looked good. It looked like the recipe is there for it to work. So I didn't love that they broke up Heronic Mata to do that, but I was happy to see Sider and Wallman finally get a look because it, it made sense to try. Is Mata even back up to speed, though? Probably not. Has he had, what, pneumonia? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'll be a month before he's back up to speed. And that's the primary reason why I think they're still taking it easy with him or the pairings have been disrupted. It is also to say, you know, what did we say for the longest time? What was the holdup with Sherratt Sider is how do you break up Heronic Mata? With Heronic performing how he did, at some point you do have to stop and say, okay, we need to maximize what we can get out of Mo Sider, which means Heronic has to demonstrate that he can do do this with someone else. So. Push comes to shove. I, I don't mind that they made that decision. I mean, when Mata's back up to speed, I'd still keep Mata uh, and uh, Hironik as a second pairing, and then I would uh, kind of use Sherrod as a swing guy in the bottom pair because the beauty of Sherrod on the bottom pair with how the rest of the Red Wings D is constructed is he can play left or right, so that really gives them options. Where can they play Osterly on? Because he's been playing his off side a bit. Maybe Sherrod's better at that. Maybe when they give, uh, they want to give Edvinson a look. Okay, now you can move Sherratt to the right side. Edvinson can just slot in there. So, you know, Sherratt's making more money than you would like to, you know, when you're petitioning for a guy to play on the bottom pair. But yeah, there's he would bring a lot of value to the rest of the lineup in what he could do there. Yeah, as long as it's, as it's uh, as long as it's an effective pairing, I should say. 
then I don't care how much yeah, money he's making. And when the Red Wings are up against the cap again, then that's when you're going to hear me, you know, moan and groan about what contracts are lower value. But as long as he's not an actual anchor, and I think we've seen Ben Sherrod is like Tyler Bertuzzi on defense, just like an absolute ball of chaos, but largely brings positive things to this team right now. There, there have been times where it's been really frustrating watching his game with Sider, but there's also been times, especially of late, where he's kind of stepped up offensively. His physical presence is known. The leadership in the room has been something that's been cited quite a bit. So for now, I'm, I, the money to me doesn't matter. No. But that very much could be something that I'm going to be hypocritical about because I've already flip-flopped on it once uh, when the, when it matters more to the Red Wings. Uh, so we talked about Helberg. You know, was it a good game? No, but he made the saves he needed to when it mattered, especially some key saves to close out the game. I mean, they were up two, so that is what it is. But That one save on Debrinkit was unreal. Yeah, he... Uh, and like you said, Brad, that's the difference between him and Ned right now. I don't know that I'm drawing conclusions based on, you know, who has a job on just a couple games, but for now it's, has Ned been good? God, no. Has Helberg been good? Not necessarily all the good time. Good enough. But good enough. Uh, the Red Wings have a backup goalie problem right now, which I don't think is unique. I would imagine probably closer to 30 teams have a backup goalie problem. Um but the Red Wings have demonstrated that they're going to ride the hot hand. So, you know, we're going to talk about roster decisions in a second, and we've come back to the whole what's going to happen with Ned. Him being waved is still on the table. The Red Wings' upcoming games, they have uh, Wednesday at home against New Jersey. Uh, so by then, we'll have some indication on the early parts of those roster decisions, and then we'll be back with you on Thursday the 5th. And then they have Florida and Toronto back-to-back, one at home, one on the road. So that's going to be... It's going to be a tougher weekend for the Red Wings. So we'll see how they make it through these next three games. Uh, Okay, before we continue talking about Jericho Lalonde's roster decisions, I want to first tell you that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan plus four free months. We all have to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's no risk to you at all with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never even happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com wingedwheel, to get your discounted subscription started today. So we are at crunch time. January 4th is approaching. That's the Red Wings' first game of 2023. Robbie Fabry should be back that game. Jacob Verano will have uh, completed his uh, conditioning stint and will be available to return. It's at the Red Wings' discretion. It it could be as early as that game. I'm kind of imagining it will be, unless something changes in practice. What's going to happen here? There's a lot of options. The beauty of Steve Eisenman as a GM is he makes a lot of good decisions for the hockey team and makes your hockey team better. The infuriating part about Steve Eisenman as a GM is you just never know because everything's on the table. Could there be a trade? 
Could we just wave a couple guys? Could there be some gymnastics where Verona doesn't play yet? They start Helberg again just to give one final look. It's all on the table. I don't know what the situation is here. You have to imagine he's... It, this isn't like a breaking news because GMs are calling each other more than people think. I know hockey is boring in terms of actual moves being made, but it, it does happen a lot. But you can bank on Steve Eisman having worked the phones over the last little while and again for the next few days. Yeah, and I'm not going to even guess or speculate on which players because it's probably been 80% of them to some capacity. <laughs> oh God, he's tried to trade Evan at some point. Yeah, that's right. They're like, look at this guy. You're telling me he's not a hockey player? So that all being said, what I think is probably the most likely scenario, we will see something done with the goaltenders. And again, this is assuming Verana and Fabry are playing. If there's any delay with either of them, that changes everything I'm about to say. So please keep that in the back of your mind. I think the goalie thing has to come to a head before that game. Because one of them, we've been talking for the last six weeks, the Red Wings have the ability, because of injuries and everything, to carry three goalies on the roster without losing anyone. That has now run out. Because if they keep three goalies past Wednesday, they have to put someone on waivers or they have to very unjustly send one of Valeno, Berggren, or Soderblom down. The way those three are playing, I don't think you can justify that to those players. I don't think you can justify that to the rest of the locker room. So the first spot and the most obvious spot you can free up is a goaltender, whether that's waving Helberg, waving Ned, trading one of them, don't know if who's so still sick and it's, you know, maybe something a little more serious. Maybe he goes on IR. Something has to happen with the goalies. Then they, he just has to make a hard decision. Uh, obviously Lalonde and Iserman. I assume we're going to talk about this together. Someone has to come out of the lineup. Nobody, the way they've played really deserves to come out of the lineup because I don't think any forward has been particularly bad. My vote right now would go to Adam Ernie just because I feel like he's providing the least. There's a half dozen other guys that you can make a case for. Not that they've been bad, but just because of circumstance, et cetera, et cetera. Relative value they bring to the team. I don't know. But if you free up one of the goaltending spots, you pull one guy out of the lineup, you get in there. Again, some guy, one guy has to get waived. I don't know who that'll be. Maybe it's, it might even be Lindstrom and they carry 60 for a couple of days just to wait for some other things to shake loose. Yeah. It's all possible. Circling back to something I said a little earlier in this episode, no matter what they decide to do, a good size of the fan base is going to be pissed. Justifiably so, but that's a good thing. Derek Lalone did say, the other day that, you know, he acknowledged the three goalies thing and he said, we're going to need that spot eventually. You know, this isn't a secret. It's not a surprise to anyone. They knew that it's not sustainable even when you don't have a roster crunch. You generally, you don't see three goalies carried for that reason. You, you at your base level need that for carrying an extra defenseman, carrying a, a young guy who's not going to slot into every game, but needs to, you know, be in the pros and not down in the AHL, whatever it might be. So they know, and they've acknowledged it. You've, you, I think you hit the nail on the head, Brad. I, there's not really anyone on the roster where there should be kicking and screaming to say, pull this guy out. There's no, you know, think of uh, the worst version of Stephen Weiss that we saw, the worst version of Justin Applicator that we saw, the worst version of, of uh, Jonathan Erickson that we saw. There's none of that going on right now. 
yeah, you can make a case for Adam Ernie, but Adam Ernie for good reason is, is loved by coaches. The guy is a dog in terms of how hard he works. He's one of their key penalty killers. And, you know, it's an important kind of player to have, uh, on the team, especially if you ask a coach for a team full of young guys that need that kind of kind of mentorship example, whatever, or that effective grinding play in, uh, uh, in your bottom six, I think again, like he's not a needle mover in any case. So if he gets waved, if he gets scratched, it's not going to affect the Red Wings that much. Sunquist, I think, is a mixed bag in terms of what you get for him. Sometimes he is surprisingly effective. You know, net front on the power play, all of a sudden Sunquist is the only one to break through in a game. So you can't sit here and tell me he's bad. But there are also games where it's a little bit more. Uh, you know, uh, he's a little invisible out there, not necessarily a liability or anything. So I, I don't think either of those guys should be you know, kicked out the door, but they would be the candidates if there was no one else. But the fact of the matter is, and this is coming from someone who really wants things to work out with Ned, you're right, Brad. Ned is the only player that we're talking about right now who hasn't put up the performances here to justify the roster spot. So what would save Ned is, you know, another injury happening to make it so they don't have to make a move right now. Um, yeah, but that injury would have to happen in practice. Yeah. Well, I, yes. Cause again, I, I'm not ruling out that they carry three goalies past Wednesday, but if they don't, they're losing somebody. Uh, there's also Helberg could have, they, they could decide they don't like what they've seen from Helberg or it's not as good. I think Helberg hasn't been, hadn't shoulders better, but he's played better so far. It just depends on whether they, whether they think that's sustainable. Uh there's a million different avenues that this could do- go down. And by the time you're listening to this, there will probably be a little bit more information that has seeped out to the public eye, but. Yeah. Ernie, Ned, that's where my list ends. Could you justify? Now keep in mind, if you, we're not saying wave Ernie, that might just be a scratch. Yeah. 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 Right. Could you justify? sending Soderblom down for a little bit right now? No, but they might have to. They might have a conversation with him saying, hey, we need a week to figure some things out to not lose anybody. And that might buy them some time on the goaltending decision. That might buy them some time on, you know, if Eisenman is trying to hammer out a trade, might let that materialize. Based on play, no. Uh, reality is you can't justify it. He's on a six-game point streak. He's been one of their more consistent forwards this month, despite being, like, I'm not saying he's, you know, setting the world on fire, but we've kind of known what we were going to get from Emler Soderblom, and he's been delivering that for the last few weeks. So, you know, this this is the tricky line you, walk, you have to walk as a hockey coach because the players aren't stupid. They know what happens on the ice. They know what goes on on the ice. They know who's playing well. They know who's playing bad. They know everything that goes on with this team. So if you take a guy who's playing really well and you wave him because, or not wave him, but you send him down, well, because those are the numbers, the players will step in front of the media and they'll say all the right things. And they'll be like, yeah, we get it. It's a numbers game. But they know. So sometimes you have to. Sometimes... You have no other choice. It's like, okay, well, we're either going to lose a good player, which the players would also realize. Like, oh, yeah, uh, Gustav Lindstrom's on waivers today because we have to. All right, well, it's a numbers game. It's going to come to that situation eventually. Because, again, look how complicated it is going into this Wednesday's game. 
There's two more coming back the week after. Yeah. Like, again, good problem to have. I cannot say that enough. It is a very good problem to have. But it is a problem nonetheless because right now we're struggling to figure out how to make this work. Okay, if you waive or trade one of the goalies, you most teams will never carry just six defensemen, so we'll assume Lindstrom's safe. All right, so you have a goalie gone. You have Lindstrom on as a healthy scratch, and let's just use your examples. Ernie and Sunkfist as the first two healthy scratches. Okay, that is probably enough to get you through the weekend. Okay, Bertuzzi and Zadina are back. If Sunkus and Ernie and Lindstrom haven't played a game from then, then what do you do? Because now you're none of those players are waiver exempt. Yeah. So if Soderblom, Valeno, and Berggren are still playing good enough to justify their spots and justify losing other players to keep them in the lineup, well then, yeah, you're gonna lose other players. Cause if you wave Lindstrom, you wave Sunkfist, you wave Ernie, you wave uh, who are I don't even know who the other candidates are. Suter, pick whoever. It doesn't matter. I've seen Suter's name come around a lot, and I, I've said it before. I would sooner make the tougher decision with what, any of the other guys, including the waiver exempt yeah, players. I'm at the point. I think we know who the Red Wings four centers are, and I think they should stay. Stay. Um, but two of these guys are gonna have to go. Yeah, that that's the unfortunate reality of having depth. The Red Wings still have a talent problem, but that's at the top of the roster, not in the depth department. Yeah. Now that being said, you know, game goes out Wednesday. Two more guys block shots with their hands. Problem solved. But, <laughs> but someone, it, yeah. Eventually, the Red Wings are going to get healthy. They it's going to happen at some point, well, and it looks like it's going to be in the next two weeks. So tempting some, fate. The uh, a name that's come up a couple times, folks uh, mentioned. They're like, "Why don't you talk more about Robert Hag?" We very briefly mentioned it last episode um, on IR right now, so not a factor. But consider him in the same vein as Lindstrom, if healthy, would be a prime candidate to be waived. It's just the risk of holding six defensemen on the roster is why teams um, sometimes the Red Wings don't have a Sergei Fedorov to. Uh... No, yeah. I mean, if they did, we'd be we'd be talking about white skates a lot more, you know. Um. All right. Quickly here, it's 2023. Evan, you said you don't do New, New Year's resolutions, but we're going to do one for the Red Wings. All three of us will give one resolution for the Red Wings to focus on this year, and you're not allowed to say sign Dylan Larkin because I think that is absolutely the most obvious one. So what is your resolution for the Red Wings? It could be for a player. It could be for Derek Lalone. It could be for Steve Eisenman. It could be for the whole organization. What is your New Year's resolution that you'd want for the Red Wings? I'll start us off. And I'll say for the team's identity to be further clarified this summer. I think Steve Eisenman went on the right track last summer by picking a direction. He had a choice to either tank hard for one more year for Bedard at the risk of, you know, alienating any semblance of a winning culture. Or he said he could have gone in, he lets him prove the players around Larkin, Sider, Raymond, etc. at the risk of being out of the Bedard sweepstakes. He chose the latter. That's fine. It's been good. Um, fully support him just picking one of those paths because I think right down the middle would have been the worst way to go. They are still at a crossroads. Like they're not out of that. They still need to decide what kind of team that they want to be and what the next steps are. They got a lot of effective players and not enough good can be said about Pra. Not enough good can be said about Huso, about Mata, uh, depending on how you feel about Sherratt at points. There is 
they're good, but some of them are stop gaps and they don't solve long-term problems. This team still has a superstar deficiency. They still have a talent deficiency. Like you just mentioned, Brad, what is your strategy to overcome those? What is your strategy to con- continue to improve the defense? Cause even if the defense is getting a little bit better, they are still largely a below average NHL defense. I just want to see more definition to what this team's path is. And so that's the resolution that by the end of 2023, we have a much clearer path timeline window into how the Red Wings will be good again in terms of playoff and cup competitive and what that looks like to get there. What I heard there is uh, your New Year's resolution is this team needs to improve. It's a hot take. Hot I know. Take. They need to be better at hockey. That's what, you know, that's what people tune into the Winged Wheel podcast for. Do good hockey, score more goals. That's uh, that's the kind of hard-hitting analysis that people uh, hit play for. I mean, we're, we're deep thinkers here. So what my resolution was actually does branch off yours. Mine's a bit of a cop because it doesn't necessarily have to be resolved in 2023, but it is the single biggest problem facing this organization that needs absolutely 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt needs to be resolved or this team will never win the Stanley Cup. Steve Eiserman has to, and this is non-negotiable at some point, has to find a top line forward. This is on the assumption that he keeps Dylan Larkin. He still needs to go out and find a legitimate star forward because the Red Wings have a Huge problem in that department. We've seen it this year. The team has improved in leaps and bounds, and they're still one of the worst offensive teams in the NHL. They need to be able to score a goal when they need a goal, and that is a huge problem for them right now. I'm not going to say what that is because there's a million options for it. Maybe you get stupid lucky in the draft. It's happened. Maybe you go out in the summer and you sign a David Pasternak. Unlikely, but it's possible. Maybe you go the trade route. Pulling a name out of a hat, Timo Meyer from San Jose. I'd you, be into Timo Meyer. I would absolutely be into Timo Meyer. But one of these avenues, it has to happen. The draft is a bit of a hope and a prayer, and you can't bank on it. For agency is a crapshoot because all the elite guys never make it to free agency. And trade, you might get absolutely hosed on the deal. But if the best case scenario here is Steve Eisenman massively overpaying for Timo Meyer. He still has to do it. Not Again, not necessarily this year, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Timo Meyer. But this team, as their roster and as their pipeline is built, does not have a Stanley Cup formula there because they do not have enough talent at the top end of their forward group to win a Stanley Cup. Full stop, plain and simple. Marco Casper is going to come in. He's going to be great. Carter Mazur comes in. He's probably going to be a very key contributor. They're not what the Red Wings need. They are going to help and they are going to, all the stop gaps you were talking about, in a perfect world, Casper and Mazer are going to be the guys to come in and say, to fill the roles when the stop gaps leave. Perfect. That is a very, very, very good result. Marco Casper isn't going to be a top line forward in all likelihood. Carter Mazer, uh, he, on a, on a cup team, you're telling me, I love Marco Casper and his development this year has been very exciting, but you're telling me he's the number one center on a Stanley Cup team? No, no, not as of right now, but I, I think... Until okay. guys play games in the NHL, hold my reservation on that. Yeah, that's fair. But I think we can safely say if you're banking, if your game plan is to bank on Marco Casper being better than Dylan Larkin, yeah, yeah. you don't have the, the formula to win a Stanley Cup. I'll take that. That's fair. So that is what 
Steve Eisenman's New Year's resolution is exhaust all options trying to find that guy. So now's a bad time to say that uh, David Pasternak and the Bruins are rumored to be closing in on an eight-year, $88 million deal. That's which, it? Which would be a bargain. I, I honestly... I think I don't I can't remember if we said it on air in the group chat, but I would advocate for them for the Red Wings if a Pasternak type player was available in free agency, overpay by a few million. Do you know why guys like year. Austin Matthews are going to get fifteen mil a year? Because it's impossible to get guys like Austin Matthews and David Pasternak. Yet the talent pool, not just deficiency overall. For example, there are not enough good defensemen or goalies for thirty-two teams in the NHL anymore. Uh, but the talent pool deficiency in terms of. Um, how the talent is dispersed is something that's not paid attention to enough. Middling players or middle lineup players are effective and you need good ones at good prices to win the cup. I'm sorry, you can't win just off one Connor McDavid or one Leon Dreisaitl or as the Edmonton Oilers have found out, even both. They've come close, but not really that close. You need that those middle of the lineup players. But as my really great friend Brad Cresco, who I've never said a mean thing about in my life, has said it a lot in the past, there are a dime a dozen. It's not easy necessarily to get them, but it's easier, relatively speaking, than top of the lineup players. And that's what you're saying, Brad. The, the, there's just so few of them. The scarcity is what drives up the price. Anyhow, Evan, your 2023 New Year's resolution for the Red Wings. Mine is uh, possible, possibly easier to execute upon than both of yours and um, involves more than just the GM having to, you know, finesse their way into making being better at hockey. Um, and you just called our opinions shit, Brad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so mine is the Red Wings need to start games better. They need to win the, fir- they need to win a first period for God's sakes. Yeah. Because good teams do not, I mean, there are good teams who do not have good starts, but, um, the times those happen are few and far between, but a team like the Red Wings with a talent deficiency cannot get behind the eight ball every single game and try and have these miraculous comebacks because that's not a recipe for success. So um, mine, I hope, is more achievable than both of yours. Um, Yeah, they need to win some first periods. They need to be in the game far more early than they currently are. You know, early in the episode, Brad, you were talking about what Evan just mentioned, and you said it's hard really to lay blame there. And I agree that you don't necessarily lay blame because – whether people like it or not, teams that can play 60 minutes also are generally more talented teams. Uh, Detroit has one weakness or another exposed in the first 30 minutes of a game, and that's been really what's been happening. Their defense has been picked apart. Goaltending has been bad. Uh, if they're deficient on up at forward because of injuries or whatever, they're not scoring on their chances. Um, so it's much easier to do if you're a better team, but at the end of the day, it falls on the coach and the coaching staff. Coaches... I think for me, the biggest skill a coach has to have is be an excellent motivator. Yeah, absolutely. Get the most out of the players you have. Uh, Do I, am I frustrated with Derek Lalone? No, because I think the team had a lot of runway, had a lot of rope to start the year because it said, oh, you're adjusting to a new system, a new coach, a lot of new players. That same kind of grace has to be extended to the coaching staff. And we've also seen a lot more buy-in to Derek Lalonde's system than we saw to Blashills. And I'm certainly not saying Derek Lalonde is not a good motivator. I'm just saying the team needs to do something different to come out of the gates more prepared. I think I think everyone is still figuring each other out is what I'm ultimately landing on here. Lalonde, the players, whatever. I'm sorry, I'd be way more concerned if we didn't see them have the second half 
second halves of games that they have. You yeah, know if they just there. never showed up at all, that would be oh, yeah. very alarming. But it is super frustrating watching a team go down early and then have to mount a... I mean, it's exciting. I'm all for entertainment, but I would prefer if we weren't doing that. Once in a once in a blue moon. Every team's going to go down 4 nothing at some point. Yeah. Best teams do. But not every, not every, not twice a week. It'd be great if you couldn't set your clock to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe they should set their clock and start when the puck drops. Okay, you know what? All three of our resolutions were be better hockey, be better at hockey, or be a better hockey team. And I know we just gave ourselves a lot of flack for that in jest, but that was legitimately Michael Rasmussen's resolution, so we're just following his footsteps. That's right. He's the leader here. All right, uh, let's get to some very quick World Junior news before jumping into overtime here. Uh, Connor Bedard. Yes. What the hell? (laughs) Every stat you look at is more mind-blowing than the next. He's tied the all-time Canadian points record in the World Juniors. 31 points overall. That's not for a draft eligible. That's not for a single tournament. That's total ever. What, he's done it in like eight less games than Eric Lindros too? Yeah. Yeah. and he's nuts. And Eric Lindros was a grown-ass man. Oh, God. Doing that he in the looked, he early looked 90s. He 27 and everyone else looked 14. Yeah, he had Shane Wright syndrome. Yeah. Shane Wright has Eric Lindros syndrome. Yeah. But it, physically, Lindros was like one of the most imposing superstars you've ever seen. Doesn't Forsberg hold the all-time world junior record for points and he did in like 13 games? <laughs> oh, yeah. the Was it Forsberg, Naslund, and I forget who the third player on that line was. They were just... Absolutely yeah. hilarious yeah, at the was, World Juniors. Yeah, they had like 41 points in 13 games. Forsberg had 10 points in one game. <laughs> like, they played Japan, mind you, and whatever, but 10 points in one game. <laughs> that was, the, that was, it was funny too, because that was a knock on Connor Bedard's stats going into the last I game. I hate was, that argument. It's like, it's yeah, so you, they, stu- everybody plays everybody. So exactly. who cares? Every year there's a Japan, an Austria, a Kazakhstan, some teams that's getting beat on. So everybody who's set records has played these teams. And then they're like, oh, well, now he's playing Sweden. Let's see how he does. And it took him, what, a minute 11 to set up a ridiculous goal? <laughs> Listen, no one is going to score seven points in one game against the United States or Sweden or Finland or Canada. I mean, uh, if it happened in Canada, the country would get shut down, which it almost does every year after the first game anyway. Yep. Um, but yeah, I hate that argument that they're like, oh, he got 90% of his points come against Austria and the the bottom feeders. It's like, well... He also t- Everybody gets that chance as well. He also tied, so 31 points through 13 games. Lindros did it in 21, so tied that. He also tied the record for most points by a Canadian in a single tournament, 18. And they, that was just the round robin. Yeah, he's still got probably three games left unless something catastrophic happens against Slovakia. Uh, and most assists in a single tournament with 12. People say, I don't know how many people say this, but I was people have mentioned that he doesn't create for his teammates. <laughs> Is that, uh, I felt like I was on, like, being punked or something. That can't possibly be true. Those are people who just watch the highlights, see his shot, and go, oh, that must be all he's good at. Because he scores goals, he doesn't, like, set anyone else up. And then he has, like, how many assists this tournament? Uh, More than everyone? Yeah. He, if let's say the Red Wings miss the playoffs, um, and they finish 11th or 12th in, in draft lottery order. And they win the lottery and they move up and they get Adam. I'm jumping out the window. And they get Adam Fantilli. I am, we've always joked to like jump out of the, the studio window in celebration. I if, actually will. You'll never see me again. If they get Adam Fantilli, I will be running through the streets happy. Adam Fantilli, the, the whole, I think he's a phenomenal hockey player. 
the whole Fantilli is coming close to Bedard and making it a conversation thing. Like Bedard is so good that I actually laugh out loud now when people say that. Like you watch him on the ice, legitimately since McDavid Matthews, you've not seen a prospect do this. What did I say before the podcast, Brad? If, you know, Bedard obviously is going to go first overall and doesn't turn into a Matthews McDavid level player, in terms of the drop-off and expected talent and what he actually does, like if he's just like a middle six player, that would be the biggest bust in modern draft history. That's how good Connor Bedard is. I don't even see how he could. Well, I mean, anything can happen, but he, no, he's Crazier just... Crazier things have happened, but you watch his game and his tools and he does it without McDavid-like speed. It's just like, how could this guy not produce at the next level? Yeah, this is the best prospect we've seen since McDavid Matthews. Anyhow, uh, he's dominating at the World Juniors. The World Juniors have been... Interesting so far, to say the least. Uh, Monday, January 2nd, the quarterfinal matchups take place. Uh, the states get Germany, and I think what is a favorable draw for them. Very favorable. Czechia gets Switzerland, which again, good draw for them, and they've earned that. Czechia's had a great tournament. Uh, Finland and Sweden for a gnarly quarterfinal matchup. That's that- going to be one of those where you look back in five years, like, oh, how did Sweden or Finland finish sixth or something in that tournament? And then you realize they had to play one another in Yeah. That- quarterfinal that is must watch hockey and then uh, Canada Slovakia and you know what I don't think that's going to be an easy bout for Canada so far Switzerland's got three wins in this tournament Um, Slovakia beat the states Czechia beat Canada like this tournament has been as wide open as we've seen in a while there's always going to be blowouts and that obviously that's happened but there have been a lot of legitimately good games with teams that you would not expect it's good to see, to, to be completely honest. It it does get a little tiring uh, yeah. seeing the same team sort of walk through the tournament. So it's good to see those, you know, sort of, uh, I don't want to call them secondary countries, but the, the up-and-coming countries making it a lot closer and a lot more interesting. It's good to see hockey improving worldwide. Yeah, it's no longer like, you know, the States, Canada, Sweden, and then when they're allowed in the tournament, Russia, and then the best of the rest. Like, no, Czechia is making it a conversation. Slovakia is making it a conversation. Finland, although a lot of years they deserve to be up there as well. Um, Okay. We are going to, actually, before we jump into overtime, uh, I got a message from Alan Moore of uh, sportsgraphing.com and what they're doing, and I'll I'll link an article to to Detroit Hockey Now in the uh, description of this episode. Uh, they're raising money for the uh, special uh, needs fund for uh, Vladimir Konstantinov. So it's a really great initiative where and you can donate a certain amount of money, 50 bucks, 75 bucks, $100 um, or more. And you get different things like a signed uh, Vladimir Konstantinov photo, a hockey card. You know, they're doing jerseys as well. Scotty Bowman has some st- signed stuff in there. Check out the link. They've raised over $65,000 already. And uh, I know a lot of you have said, are there any initiatives that we can contribute to for uh, Vladi's ongoing care fund? Uh, there have been things coming up. I, I think this is a really great initiative. The fact that Vladi is participating in it, in, in it himself, you know, signing things. He's, uh, there have been, you know, meet and greets and photo ops. Um, personally, I wish for this to not have to happen for Vladi to receive the care that he needs. He's a Red Wings legend. Uh you don't get to just tell the story about the Red Wings without talking about the contributions that Vladi made uh, on the ice and, and the terrible tragedy that he went through off the ice. Uh, he's a part of the Red Wings ethos. And uh, I just personally want to see him taken care of and not have to worry about this kind of thing. 
uh, breaks my heart a little bit that this, you know, constant fundraising has to happen, whether it be through legislation or, or, or some other means. My wish is to have this be a foregone conclusion that Vladi is taken care of for as long as he needs the care. Uh, but for now, I'm going to link to this article, Detroit Hockey Now, uh, Pro Sports Zone and Sports Graphing are, are doing a really great thing here. Um, credit to them and, and thank you to Alan Moore for reaching out. So uh, if you'd like to contribute and also are, are interested in getting some signed Vladi memorabilia or, or Scotty Bowman or uh, you know the jerseys, the cards, the photos, whatever, uh, I recommend you check it out. It's going to a great cause. Okay. Let's jump into overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, and we are going to first thank all of our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to support the show, I know a lot of you uh, have asked, you know, how does this show function? How do you guys do two episodes a week? How have you uh, managed all this uh, incredible growth over the last, guys, we're almost at eight years now. Ugh. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and it's because of our patrons. Uh the heart and soul of the show. They're the reason we're able to do anything. Uh, if you sign up on Patreon, you get access to the winged wheel podcast discord. Uh, you get access to, which is a phenomenal community. You get access to uh, giveaways that we run constantly. You're automatically entered. We're giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season, including, uh, and most of those tickets are going directly to patrons. Uh, in addition to that, um, you get access to the, uh, Patreon exclusive overtime episodes that we record right after these. So we let loose, we slouch in our chairs a little bit. Uh, Brad and Evan are allowed to swear as much as they want. And uh, we take the rest of your overtime questions and comments that don't make it to the main episode and, and tell some stories and have some fun. So a lot of benefits to being a patron, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Uh, okay, let's take some questions. Uh, we are going to start with Cody Stark says, sure is nice having third and fourth lines that can score for the wings. What's the biggest difference between this squad's depth in years past? A word we've probably overused this episode, but it's the legitimate answer. Talent. Yeah. There's actual good players, NHL caliber players playing on those lines now. Uh, Coyote season tickets in Tempe says, how will I always ask great questions, by the way, says, how will Eisenman be able to effectively manage assets at the trade deadline if Larkin is still unsigned eight weeks from now? Again, short answer, he won't. Um, he will, but he can't, I guess, is probably the better answer because the Larkin thing puts the Red Wings in a really tricky spot, and I know we've talked about this before, but it's probably worth repeating. Eisenman hit the gas this year. This was no longer, this team is no longer rebuilding. This team is, we are trying to be good. If in the first year you do that, you lose your best player, that is a massive, massive problem. The Red Wings cannot lose Dylan Larkin right now. That is the reality of it. And if Dylan Larkin, by the trade deadline, is effectively saying, I'm not re-signing, Eiserman has two choices. Play chicken and pray. Or you ask Larkin to waive his no trade and you trade him for an absolute king's ransom, which sets the timeline of this rebuild back again. Unfortunately. But then at least you have the value yeah. of the assets for Dylan Larkin. And then, yeah, the clock resets again, which nobody wants to hear, but that would be the reality of the situation. But you, if you are pretty confident Larkin's not coming back, you almost don't have a choice. Worst case scenario, Larkin says, I'm not re-signing, but I don't want to be traded mid-season. And then we're screwed, which I don't, 
I think that's the least likely scenario. That in there's no way. First of all, like to to acknowledge what you just said, I think Larkin wants to stay. I think everyone. That's the most likely scenario. Everyone is expecting this to be done, but if Larkin decides that he's not going to, I don't see him screwing the Red Wings over by by not you know releasing that no trade clause. Yeah, he might like be like, I'm only giving you four teams or something, something to that effect. But yeah, yeah, but I think you're right. Ultimately, you have to move forward as if you're going to sign him. That's the only way to do it. Trade protection, if that was different, sure. Um, if they had different centers to lean on, sure. Like you said earlier this episode, Marco Casper is really your only viable option for another hopefully guaranteed top six center. And even that, like as Evan said, until you see him play games, doesn't mean anything. Nope. So, because the Red Wings, especially at Florida, are in a really precarious spot outside of Casper and Mazer. The Red Wings have a lot of intriguing prospects at forward, but how many of them would you say are more likely than not to even make the Red Wings, let alone be impact forwards? Uh, I think Lombardi's got a chance. I think Lombardi has a really good chance. I, I think, think Buchelmolikov has a chance. Yeah, he took a nasty blindside yeah. hit the other day. But there's not much beyond that. And if you lose Larkin on an already weak forward group with an already weak forward pipeline, there's no way. You can't. You just can't. You would have, oh no, you couldn't. You would have to dismantle now to try to get Connor Bedard. That's true. I know I'm being dramatic. But you healthy scratch Lucas Raymond, Mo Saturn, and Billy Huso for the remainder of the season. Chances can't be taken. <laughs> Danny DeKaiser, you want to play again? Actually, I shouldn't joke. He was better with. He's our first, No, he'd be the first line center. Uh, Upper East Sider says, what do you guys think of Kosa's play this year? Currently a 783 and 5.57 goals against average in AHL play across three games and an 896 with 293 goals against average in Toledo in 19 games. Um, I saw Beer League Chump on Twitter phrased it really well the other day. There was never going to be a version of Kosa, I think, that was going to make the jump from the WHL to pro hockey this season and light it up. Uh, it was almost a stretch as is, but the Red Wings needed him to kind of get pro reps and as many of them as possible. So certainly hasn't lit the world on fire, but as long as he's working on his fundamentals, as long as he's working to refine his game and, and build a consistent, solid skill set that could uh, of good goaltending habits that could maximize the amount of raw talent that he has, that's all that really matters to me. I know the scoring in those leagues is a little bit different than the NHL. Um, I'd be lying if there wasn't still quite a, a significant amount of concern with Kosa just because of the amount of draft capital in in that was invested in him. So he's certainly not done enough to dispel that, but I'm not ringing any alarm bells quite yet. Cautiously concerned might be the phrase. Um, there's two ways to look at this, and I would absolutely hear the argument from both sides, so I don't really have a firm opinion on it. One, if you're a goalie drafted in the top 20 in the first round and uh in your second post-draft year, you are struggling in the ECHL. That's bad. You you should expect more from a goalie in that scenario. The other side, well, Kosa is not like the Wallstets and the Askarovs of the world. We knew he was a project because he was a big athletic freak who needed his technical game refined, so it would take time. Also fair. So it just depends which one of those sides you buy into because you know the other goalies who were drafted in his range did not struggle like this at this point in their career. That's just the reality of it. And that's very recent memory, so you don't even need to compare eras. But the other goalies that were drafted in his range did not have the, I don't even know how to phrase it, 
physical tools he had, but they were also way more technically refined than he was. So I am perfectly comfortable siding on either side of that debate. Uh, Evan's bachelor party in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and no, you're not invited. Wow. (laughs) Says... Happy New Year, fellas. Talking with some of my Ragers uh, fan friends out here, the general consensus is that Lafreniere is a bust and they want him gone. The Rangers don't have much cap space, but according to Cap Friendly, they'll have about $7.1 million in deadline space, which might make a Patty Kane deal work with some spare parts. But the general consensus is that they don't want him either. So I'm starting to wonder what a Lafreniere package looks like if Stevie comes knocking. Stay fresh, cheese bags. The Rangers are... I think the way they're handling Lafreniere is a little bit peculiar. Uh, not necessarily in agreement with how that's kind of going, unfolding. I don't really... I just have a hard time believing with all of the high-end talent that the Rangers have brought in via draft that there are this many busts, so to speak. So I, I think there's a lot more to Lafreniere, but they also know that. They're not going to give him up. Like No one's going to do Zadina in a second for Lafreniere. The Rangers would never. Plain and simple. No, it starts with the Red Wings 2023 first, and then you add from there. Yeah, genuinely. And I could see an offer where the Red Wings say, okay, not 2023 because, you know, we're not making the playoffs maybe and, and that could be Bedard, but we'll do 2024 and then, you know, throw in whatever prospect. Um, not whatever prospect, but, you know, middling or, or not high tier prospect. But that's what the Rangers are going to be looking for. And you know what? I don't think that they're going to rush anything or settle right now. If you need cap space, you don't give up guys who are on ELCs or, or very young, especially if they have a world of untapped talent. GMs hate being wrong. GMs hate getting fleeced on deals. And Lafreniere is primed, primed to make people look stupid five years from now for, for how they're talking about him. Could, could end up being a bust. Could be very wrong. But you know what? Uh, there's just been too much there for me to, to jump on that bandwagon quite yet. So what would a potential deal look like? Yeah, you're, you're talking first plus. You're talking uncomfortable names in terms of prospects. They'll be asking for, you know, if you don't want them to talk Edvinson or um, Casper, then, you know, they're talking Berggren, they're talking Soderblom, they're talking whoever else. That situation has to get more dire before I think the New York takes a, a loss on that asset. All right. Uh, why don't we take some Reddit questions before we wrap up here? Uh, Bart Carp says, why are they still talking about Zadina coming back? Is it time to move on from that guy? That's a, that's an interesting question. And, you know, I think it's one worth answering Zadina, even though he's coming back from injury, he still has a full roster of NHL worthy players ahead of him. And he's not done enough to say, yeah, he definitely needs the time and the space on that roster over the other guys. I think there's more to be done with the player maybe um, in terms of what he could do on the ice and the kind of talent that you can extract. But I've been saying that for a lot of years now, and, and we're probably reaching the point where, you know, you just have to admit that there, you know, a lot of people, us included, got this one wrong. That said, I don't think the, the Red Wings are there yet. I don't think necessarily everyone should be there yet. Steve Eisman just signed this guy to a contract for low money with some term. Uh, if they are giving up on him, they're not just going to give up on him and, you know, dump him away for free. They'll want to get him some ice yeah. and they'll want to showcase him if they're, they're trying to move him on in a trade or they'll want to see if they can extract something else from him. He's going to get looks again. You said, Brad, he's going to be rotating in. Like that's probably the most likely solution. And, and I think that's what's going to happen, but they're going to give Zadina more opportunities to, to fit in the lineup. What he does with it, I think 
remains to be seen. I, I, I'm not terribly optimistic, although it's not impossible. Um, and he's not going to have a long leash. I think he's very much, if he's going to make an impact, he has to do it quickly. You briefly mentioned a point that doesn't get brought up enough with Zadina. At his worst, he's still a usable bottom six forward. Like he's not a defensive liability. He's a good transition player who can't score. That's that's Philip Zadina's worst case scenario right now. He's signed for two and a half more years at basically no money. Yeah. So that is very valuable to a lot of teams, uh, which would include the Red Wings. When you can get a usable bottom forward who has some talent and potential and you're paying him basically nothing, that's a lo- that alone is enough reason to give him some leash and give him some rope because you already have him for two more years after this one. What's the rush? If he's comfortable and he has to be because he's signed and he's not really done enough to, to argue it, if he's comfortable being that 13th forward or, or having to fight and grind for every single minute he plays, then yeah, you have time. There's no point in giving up this early. It's not going to move the needle on where you are for, what is it, 1.825 million. Not at all. Uh, okay, this one from Flamengo, uh, Flamengo8119. Is renewing Wallman's contract a priority? Define priority. Not mission critical, but a 26-year-old left defenseman that's proven to be one of your better ones all season and for a team that's pretty deficient in terms of effective defense. Yeah, I'm bringing this guy back unless he's asking for an insane deal. What this might come down to, so I'll kind of, rephrase the question because this might be what it comes down to. Schrotz, let's assume he stays on the left side and he's signed for three more years. If Edvinson's ready for next year, you basically have to pick between Wallman and Mata. The Red Wings aren't the type of team to just pick three left defensemen and let the other one go, though. They'll foster competition. Yeah, and they'll sign all three and make Edvinson earn his spot. Yeah, that's the reality, that's what they should do. But if Edvinson does earn that spot, that's this is likely the scenario we're coming to, but that is a good way of phrasing it because that decision will be made after they've been signed. Yeah. So is Wallman a top priority? No, but he's on the list. I mean, if top if the top priority means Larkin, then no. If you're looking at guys that aren't Larkin, I'd put him up there. I've, I've liked Wallman's game. Okay, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in, folks. We are very, very excited for the 2023 ahead. You might have caught Evan's wind of inspiration with his most uh, colorful tweet that I've ever seen him post of his own volition. Yeah, we had a little bit of bubbly going in the hotel before the wedding. Yeah, we were getting the getting the pre-buzz on. Hey, you know what? A You're welcome, sh- everyone. A little champagne and people start to tell the truth. That's not a new story. And you That's talked right. you talked about all the exciting things we have in store for the Winged Wheel podcast and our, our amazing fans and listeners this year. And we really are genuinely excited. If you can get Evan to tweet something like that about how pumped he is, and even in the group chat, you were you're pumped up. So... Uh, that's how you know it's going to be a good year. So thank you all so much for your support in 2022 and, and what you helped us accomplish. And we really are looking forward to this year ahead. Uh, be sure to check out the link in the description for that uh, that uh, Vladimir Konstantinov fundraiser that I mentioned. Uh, we'd like to thank the sponsors of this episode, NordVPN, and all of our listeners, new and old. Uh, if you want to find a way to support the show that isn't uh, contributing on Patreon, uh, rate us on however you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and give us a rating uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever it might be. It makes a massive difference for us. So that is a 
uh, a way you can help out that we'd greatly appreciate. We'd like to thank all of our patrons, uh, patreon.com slash winged real podcast, uh, the members of the dub dub club, so to speak, uh, name level sponsors on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sierra Grand Foundation, uh, Akefer, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hannes, Banana Slam and Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, Matthew M. Rice, Nick Perks, uh, LHRW, Croner's Left Knee, Brandon M., Carl Bertin and Analuski, Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, uh, Don't Read This Out Loud, Give Blood Fight Probert, Red Hot, Ronick, Hassam al Kassem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joseph Berry, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, uh, Matt McKay, Michael Edlund, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, The Podcasting Couch, Venom, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, LHRW, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, uh, Ben Barron, LHRW, proud member of the Jake Wellman Gritty Club, Br- Big Gritty Energy, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasher, Carl Thames, uh, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Philip Zadiz Nuts, Heronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt S., Loyal Soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ricky Bong Rips, Servo, The Hodag, and Aaron Hudson. Thank you all so much. We'll talk to you Thursday. Hope you had a happy new year. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.